We want to say welcome to everybody watching this message by video, whether you're watching online or on television. Welcome to Waters Church, uh, the Waters Church experience. I'm Tim, and I'm pleased to welcome you in, and everybody here live is going to welcome you in right now, so let them know. We're glad that you're joining us. If you're in the house, take out your bulletins, and in the bulletins is a note page, and it looks like this, and we want you to follow along and fill in the blanks with us as we go through this message. God's Secret to Greatness, Part 2. The question that I have for you is, who has your ear? Who has your ear? Just look to your neighbor and say, who has your ear? Don't go touching it. Just, just ask them. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? James chapter 1, and then we're going to get to 2 Kings chapter 5 in a few moments, but James chapter 1 is the prelude to the message. I want us to stand together as we read the Word of God together. Usually I read and you listen, but today we're all going to read it together because it's going to be up on the screen for us to read as one body and one voice. James chapter 1, verse 19. Let's read it together on the count of three. One, two, three. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that god desires therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save your souls this is god's word let's pray together heavenly father i ask that this moment will be governed by the holy spirit I ask, Lord, that the words that I share are the words you want shared. Keep me from saying anything you don't want said. Help us to hear your voice. I pray, Father, for the person who's here for whatever reason. Maybe they're right now thinking, why am I here? Maybe they're thinking, I don't belong here. Maybe there's somebody thinking, I'm unworthy. Maybe there's someone thinking, I'm worthless. I pray that by the end of this time together, they believe and they know just how good and gracious, merciful and loving you are, and that they can know you, they can walk with you, they can have life in you. And I pray that we can all see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. God gave us two ears, one mouth. Hint. Uh, we live in a world where people are talking a lot, more than ever before. And it seems like there's a lot of noise. And in James chapter 1, he says, listen, when you just let everybody just spout off of the mouth, what do you get? You get anger. There's a lot of anger in our world. There's a lot of vitriol in our world. There's a lot of hatred. Even in a country as blessed as ours, there's two sides of this country, and each side is hating the other more and more. I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing, but I'm seeing a lot of anger in our society. Anybody seeing this? I see anger in the, on the road all the time. Of course, I cause some of that. <laughs> but I see a lot of anger in people's hearts. It, it seems like we are losing the ability to listen. Somebody say listen. listen. We're losing the ability to hear. And I want to tell you today that, that God wants to speak to you. The question is, will you hear him? Will you listen? James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because when we start speaking, we get angry. Or when we start speaking, it's because we think we know better. So it's our time to tell people what we really think. 
And then we just feed into our anger, and before you know it, anger becomes a thing of itself. It becomes like this life force in us, and it just starts to control us. And anger never brings about God's kind of life. Just creates more confusion, more hostility, more anger. So James says, put away the moral filth and the rampant wickedness, and then he says, humbly accept the word of God. Humbly accept the word of God, which is able to what? Save your souls. God's word wants to save you. Now let's talk about that word save. Here's the problem with American Christianity. Here's the problem with the mantras of our age. And maybe the church has produced some of this, so let me just kind of try to deal with it for a moment. But we have relegated the idea of salvation to going to heaven when you die. Salvation is accept Jesus, and then good news, your life might stink, but when you die, you're going to go to heaven instead of hell. And I have to tell you that that's not the fullest uh, reality of salvation that God wants for any of us. If this faith was only about going to heaven, wouldn't it make much more sense that the moment we received Jesus, we would instantly go to heaven? Like, wouldn't that be cool in some ways? I, we wouldn't have a church. I mean, I would just be gathering here with some people who I don't know, and I wouldn't have to, I couldn't be a Christian, so I'd have to like remain a non-Christian to say, if you want to go to heaven, receive Jesus, and then people would put their hands up, and as soon as they put their hands up, they just whoosh, disappear. <laughs> like, that would be easier because doing church is tough, and sometimes it's hard because you're working with people. And, 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 and that seems like, okay, fine, but listen, here's the deal. That's not really what salvation fully encompasses. God does want you home in heaven one day. But I believe he wants so much more for you today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life. I think that salvation, the word here, save your souls, in the Greek translation, the, the original language of the New Testament is sozo. It's a great word. I love the Greek words. Sozo. Somebody say sozo. And it means make whole keep safe, rescue from danger, and restore people or someone suffering from a disease. I want you to see the multifaceted reality of what God wants in salvation. Not just getting to heaven. He wants your life whole. He wants your life safe. He wants your life rescued from danger. And he wants you healed healed mind, body, soul, and spirit. How do I know? Because he wants us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and body. He wants everything in our lives healed. And I believe there are people here who need healing. You need healing. You need healing. Even if you don't think you need healing, you need healing. In fact, sometimes it's the people who don't think they need healing who need healing the most. You say, my body is fine. I'm not maybe talking about your body. Maybe I'm talking about your heart. Your heart's been wounded. Your heart's been broken. Your heart's been wounded by people's opinions of you, their treatment of you. You were abandoned. You were forsaken. Your mom left. Your dad left. Your heart's hurting. Do you think that God doesn't care about your heart? Of course he does. He wants it healed. 
Maybe not your heart. Maybe your body and your heart are in good shape. Maybe it's your mind. We're living in a culture right now where it's the mind is a, is a serious problem in our, in our culture right now. A serious problem. Anxiety, stress, fears, worry, even bipolar disorder. These mental issues in people's lives, ruining them, making their lives miserable, making everybody around them miserable. What is it? It's sickness in the mind. You need healing in your mind. Do you think that God doesn't care about your mind? Of course he does. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants you at rest in your mind. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Woo, there it is, mind. The peace of God, which goes beyond what your mind can accept or receive or even understand, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you need your minds healed. You're anxious. You're worried. Some of you have this perception of yourself. I'm miserable. I'm worthless. I'm a loser. And you're just, it's all up in here. It's all up in here. And you need the renewal of your mind. God wants to heal that. So maybe you're not sick in your body. Maybe you're not sick in your heart. Maybe you're not sick in your mind. Maybe you're one of those very few people who's only sick in their soul. What do you mean? Soul. What's soul sickness? You know what soul sickness is? Disconnection from God. You're not walking with God. You're doing life on your terms, you're doing life in your way, and you're not feeling at peace deep down. Here's the, the I think, the clearest evidence for sickness of soul is that there's two yous. There's the you you try to portray to everybody around you, and then there's the real you deep down inside that you try to keep quiet, that you try to hide from the world. I don't want anybody to see that. I don't want anybody to see that because if they see that, they'll see how rotten I am. And then they'll turn on me and then they'll hate me and I'll never get anywhere in life. And so your life becomes a, a facade management program where you're always trying to put on the best version of you which isn't really the you that you really are because the you that you really are is sick. You say, Pastor, how do you know this? Because this is me, and this is you. This is the human condition. We are born disconnected from God. We run from him naturally, not normally. Listen, it's an act of grace that anyone comes to Jesus. It's an act of God working on their hearts, drawing them to know him. He's the one who comes after us. We don't find Jesus, friend. No, Jesus finds us. He's the one who seeks and saves. He's the one who goes after the lost sheep. He's the one who's coming to get some of you today. Because he knows you're sick. Because he knows you need healing. And so here's the deal. I believe that God wants to heal. I believe God wants to heal. But how are we going to get healed? Point number one. Based on what James has just said. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write this down. My healing is connected to my hearing God's word. God wants to speak to you. The, the creator of the universe wants to say something to you. But we don't listen anymore. Well, let me backtrack. We don't naturally listen. You ever notice how hard it is to get a kid to listen? 
Yesterday's, yesterday, my kids were, were, were playing in the front yard, and we don't have a screen in one of the windows because it, it, be, it needs to be fixed. And so I took it out. Well, they discovered that there was no screen in the front window. It was like finding a ride at Disneyland with no line. <laughs> through the window, through the window, through the window, through the Bugs flooding into the house. Just suddenly saying, whoa, look at this house. These people don't even have a screen. What a bunch of idiots. They're just landing on our food and our fruit. They're just loving on us. All the bugs. I tell the kids, stop opening the window. Yes, daddy. I turn around. Five minutes later, through the window. Again, back and forth. I just said, do you understand? We don't listen normally, naturally. We need a work of God to hear Here's another reason why we don't listen. Do you know why we don't listen today? I think it's worse than ever before. Because we can get all the information we want in a moment. And because we have unlimited access to unlimited information, i.e. through these devices, we don't have to listen to anybody anymore. Oh, I hear what you're saying, but let me just look it up and see if it's true. <laughs> right? This is the world that we live in. Or if you try to tell your children, I remember my daughter, she was, she was not able to open a can at one point when she was very young. She couldn't open a can. And we said, how are you ever going to cook if you have a home of your own? She says, well, I'll just Google it then. So we just, we just said, this is, the, <laughs> this is the age that we live in. We don't want to learn anything because we have a Google. Google has become God. Google is like our new God. We looked at that for answers. But the reports have come out recently. I don't know if you're aware of this. The reports have come out recently that Google is actually selling your information. They're making money off of you, and they're angling the results of your search to the things that they want you to see. That's not, that's not neutral. You understand? You understand that even when you go to Google, you're being programmed. You're being programmed by the God of Google. So just watch yourself. Go to DuckDuckGo.com, okay? That's what I do now because I'm done with that kind of stuff. I want just true results, right? But anyway, we don't listen because we have unlimited access to information at the fingertips, at our thumbs, there's another reason why we don't listen anymore. There's another reason, and here's another reason. Because we can speak louder than ever before. I talk about our phones a lot. I talk about this, this whole thing, this, the movement of our phones, the device generation. And I thought about how a lot of times our phones are a problem because of the stuff that it brings us. But I want to talk to you today about the way that our phones actually create for us a megaphone opportunity in life that we get to scream about our lives louder than ever before through our phone. So this is, this is a phone, but it's not a phone phone, it's a megaphone, yeah, right? And your phone is like a megaphone, and so, but the thing is about the megaphone, the phone generation, is that we actually share things that nobody wants to hear. Like, all right, everybody, here's what I'm doing today. Here's what I had for breakfast. Here's my son standing next to his dog. Like, nobody wants to see it. I don't care. I am worthy of being heard. Heard, heard, heard. We have a Sinai complex. Like, we're Moses on Sinai, the world or the Israelites, and we have something to say. Pay attention. Well, the more that you speak, the less that you hear. You're never going to get healed if all you do is do all the talking in your life. Amen. Some of you don't let anybody talk to your life because you just talk back at them. And you just, you just have an argument for everybody. You just have an argument for everybody. I, I know why. 
And you know who you are. You know how you know this person because when you start speaking, everybody starts going like this. Here he goes again. Watch out for that. Watch out for the eye roll. Watch out. If you got eye rolls coming back at you, it's like God saying, stop talking. Start listening. So I, I was just thinking about how the, the internet generation, the phone generation, I thought, this is a funny joke. It's a great joke. This guy said, I'm trying to make friends outside of Facebook while applying the same principles of Facebook. Therefore, every day I walk down the street and tell passerbys what I had for breakfast, how I feel at the moment, what I did the night before, and what I'm going to do later on today. I give them pictures of my family, my dog, me gardening, taking things apart in the garage, watering the lawn, standing in front of landmarks, driving around town, having lunch, and doing anything that everybody does every day. I also listen in on their conversation, and I give them a thumbs up if I like what they're saying. <laughs> and then I comment without them asking for my opinion. And it works just like Facebook. I already have four people following me, two police officers, a private investigator, and a psychiatrist. <laughs> we don't listen because we think we know better and we think we can speak better and say better than what other people are saying and I don't have no problem if you want to live like that but I'm just going to tell you you're never going to get healed you need to learn how to listen God says be quick to listen and slow to speak I translated the James 1:21 passage in my own version I call it the THV James 1, verse 19. There we go. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to tweet, snap, insta, post. There we go. And slow to join in their own little echo chambers. For man's limited angry opinion does not actually help or convince anyone. Can I get a good amen? Therefore, get rid of your foolish self-absorption and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save your souls. All right, so we've got to learn how to listen. Number two, we've got to realize that there are hazards to my hearing God's word. There are hazards to, to hearing. There are things that come between us and what, what God wants to say to us. Now we've got to go to 2 Kings chapter 5. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to meet somebody. His name is Naaman. His name means gracious. He is a commander of the armies of Israel's enemies. The Old Testament is the story of Israel, God's people, right? Well, today we're going to hear about a guy who actually attacked God's people and beat them, and yet God wanted to say something to him. A lesson for everybody who might be in the house today thinking that church is only for good people. Church is only for people who God likes. Or church is for only for people who are already Christian. God wants to speak even to Israel's enemies in the Old Testament. Think about that. What's the, what's the message? God loves not Israel only. God loves the world. And so let's talk about Naaman. Here's how it introduces this guy to us. Verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, not Israel, was a great man with his master. In other words, the person that he thought was important to him thought he was pretty great. And in high favor he was held. Because by him the Lord, God, had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. Look at the last line. But he was a leper. Now leprosy in the Old Testament was a skin condition. Still is. And what you have to see is that the pictures of the Old Testament are realities for New Testament reality or realities for life. And leprosy is a picture of the spiritual condition of every man, woman, and child. 
Leprosy was incurable. Leprosy separated you from other people. Leprosy separated you from knowing and understanding and believing in God. Leprosy was a skin condition, but leprosy is a picture of a spiritual condition that creates distance between ourselves and one another. It creates distance or disconnection between ourselves and God. In the Old Testament, if you had leprosy, you couldn't go to temple. You couldn't worship God. Disconnection. It's a, spirit, it's a picture of our spiritual condition before God. And I want you to look at Naaman again, because Naaman is successful. Naaman is mighty. Naaman is powerful. Naaman is a great man, but he had leprosy. And the point of the scripture is this. You can be successful. You can have your life together. You can have all the things you want. You can be held in high regard by everybody around you, but there's still a problem with you. You've got spiritual leprosy. You've got a disconnection between you and God. You've got an issue of sin in you, inside of you. That soul sickness, that person that you keep trying to hide and try to manage the perception of to everybody around you. I want you to see here what Naaman needed is what you and I need. Naaman needed healing. And in the Old Testament, there was no cure for leprosy. You needed a miracle. You needed an act of God to heal you. And that's exactly what Naaman needed. And that's exactly what every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth need. We need an act of God to save us from our sickness. So now look what happens in Naaman's life. He's got this sickness. He doesn't know what to do. He's never going to die. And verse 2 says this. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, God's people. And she said, she worked in the service of Naaman's wife, and she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. This is an amazing little girl. Look at her story again. She's been captured by Naaman and his army. She's been enslaved into the service of his wife. But evidently, Naaman and his wife are very good to their slaves, are very good to their captives. So she cares so much for Naaman. She says, I, I can see that he has leprosy. Would that he'd go see the prophet in my country. Who's the prophet? The guy's name is Elisha. He's a mighty prophet of God. And she says, you know, I know somebody could heal him. And Naaman doesn't hear this from the girl. He probably hears it from his wife. And I think that's important. Because I don't think that Naaman would ever have listened to the girl. I think that the wife hears the girl, and then Naaman and his wife are going to bed, and they're getting ready, you know, they're kind of like getting in their PJs, and she's like, you know, I had a conversation with my servant, and she said you should go to Israel, and he's like, oh, really? Nah. And she's like, Naaman, you're going to Israel. Uh, nah, no, I'm not going to, Naaman, you're going to, don't control me, woman, you're going to Israel, that's it. Okay, I'll go to Israel. <laughs> that's how I see that going down, right? I just see that going down. She's withholding sex for weeks, she's not talking to him, he's like, oh, fine, Fine. So here's what happens. <laughs> Verse 4. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. Thus spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Verse 5. And the king of Syria said, go ahead and go. This is verse 5. Go ahead and go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Where did the girl tell him to go? To the prophet. Where is he going? To the king. Why is he not going to the prophet? Because he thinks that the power players of culture are where you go to get what you need. Like many people here today. I'm not gonna go listen to that guy spat off of the mouth with a great beard. <laughs> I'm not gonna go to that church. Oh, no, no, I'm gonna get my healing from my doctor. He's just gonna write me a script. 
I'm gonna write, I'm gonna go over here to the therapist, the counselor. They, they, they went to college, they went to university, they got a master's degree. You can have a master's degree and, it can be, and also be a complete idiot. You have to watch out. Because everybody's out for something. You have to watch out. We didn't charge you to come into this room and you don't pay for us. We're gonna give you this free of charge. It's up to you if you wanna listen to it. He goes to the king, he doesn't go to the prophet because he thinks it's the power players of culture that are gonna fix him up. So he went, the Bible says, taking with him 10 talents. This is an enormous amount of money. 10 talents of silver, uh, uh, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. You know why Naaman doesn't go to the prophet and goes to the king? Because he is trapped by his own success. Here's hazard number one to hearing God, success. I got my life together. Okay, I, all right, maybe way down deep, pastor. Maybe there is something way down deep, yes. But I got my life together. On the outside, everything looks good. Yes, but on the inside, you're rotting away. Success can keep you from hearing God because you think you know better. You just get a certain modicum of success and then you, start st- and then you stop listening to people who could speak to you words of life. And so here's what pride says. We're doing a series on humility, but here's what pride says. I only listen to people who are equal to me or are as successful as I am. Or maybe for you, it's I only listen to people who are like me, look like me, act like me, go to the same places I go. I only listen to the people that I agree to listen to. Friends, that's just stupid pride. Because God may want to say something to you through someone that you do not expect and maybe someone that you do not respect. Maybe God has a word of life for you, but your stupid pride is getting in the way because you can't imagine that that person who is not yet at the level of life that you have arrived at could possibly say something that could heal you. I was in the car the other day with my son, my seven-year-old son, Jake, And I was driving home and I was listening to my political talk podcast. I love political talk. I'm a political talk junkie. And my son suddenly listens to this thing for about five minutes with me. And then he says, Dad, what show is this? Seven years old. And I said, "Uh, it's a political talk show. Uh, He goes, well, what's the man talking about? And I said, well, he's talking about uh, people's opinions. And then he said, well, what's an opinion? So I had to explain what an opinion is. And then he said, what's he saying about people's opinions? I said, well, he's sharing his opinion about other people's opinions. As it's coming out of my mouth, I'm starting to think, well, maybe this is stupid, okay? But anyway, he says, Dad, what kind of a show is that? You're listening to a show about people's opinions, about other people's opinions? Then he said this, turn that off. (laughs) Seven years old. So I didn't turn it off. Because who was he? Seven years old. So the next day, I'm at the gym, and I'm listening again to my political talk podcast, and suddenly I realize I'm getting angry and stressed and mad at certain people in our country, and I'm mad and mad and madder and madder and madder. I'm like, just, ah. I'm like wait a second, I'm a pastor. I gotta love people. And this guy's just telling me, to, and suddenly the, the words from Jake come back to my mind, turn that off. So I did, and I switched to a Christian minister's station. Can I tell you that the atmosphere in my life just went all the way down to peace? 
Instead of hating, I got some good tools for my life. I got some healing in my spirit. I got some understanding of God's word, and it brought healing to my bones and to my life. Do you understand? You got to listen to what God says over what the world says. The world will fill you with anger. The world will fill you with, with vitriol. The world will fill you with stress and, and depress you. But, but God's word is life and peace. God's word will bring healing to your heart and to the innermost being of who you are. Got to listen to that. But I had to humble myself and listen to my seven-year-old son. Who does God want to speak to you through that you have already said, nope, they, put, they, they don't have anything to say to me? How foolish. You're the only person that's going to suffer from that equation. God wants to speak to you. He might speak to you through someone from a different ethnicity. He might speak to you from somebody, of, 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 through somebody who's making far less money than you, maybe far more money than you, maybe far older than you, maybe much younger than you. Can you have ears to hear what God would say to somebody? I'm not saying to you, listen to everybody. That's also foolish. But I am saying to you, don't let, don't let success get in the way and become a stumbling block between you and hearing God's voice. And so let's go on in the story. He brought the letter, verse 6. He brought the letter to the king of Israel and it said, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent name in my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now the king of Israel flips out here. He says, this guy's trying to pick a fight with me. This, I can't, I'm not God. I can't heal. This is the king. And that's true. The king can't heal. The prophet of God is sent to heal. And look what happens in verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, the prophet, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may know there's a prophet in Israel. So watch this. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now what you have to understand is that Elisha is a very poor prophet. When he got called to be a prophet, the Bible says he burned all of his plows and he slaughtered all of his cows. He got rid of all of his stuff. That's a euphemism for getting rid of all of his stuff to serve God. So he was living very meagerly. And I see him like in this one-bedroom shack, and he's just in the middle of nowhere. And here comes Naaman, the commanding five-star brigadier general from Syria, and he's in his motorcade, and the lights are flashing, and the little motorcycles are there, and everybody's leading this guy, this important guy, right to the little farmhouse, one-bedroom house of Elisha the prophet. It's like, whoa, 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 pulls up. There's smoke, there's dust, the dust settles, and look what happens. Verse 10. Love this verse. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. <laughs> he doesn't even go to the door. <laughs> He's just like, I'm busy with the dishes. Can you just go tell Naaman? Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be renewed, and you shall be clean. <laughs> Now, I've been to Israel, and I've seen the Jordan River, and it is not impressive. We kind of like eulogize the Jordan. We, we idealize the Jordan. It is not an impressive river. It's a very humble, meek river. I've got a picture of it. I took this picture while I was on the bus ride through Israel. That's the first sign. That's the first moment I saw the Jordan River. Look at it. The gas pipe going across the river is almost bigger than the river itself. There's another picture here. This is where you get baptized. That looks like a pool in New England that you just opened, right? Come on. <laughs> right? Not impressive. So you can understand Naaman's response here in the next verse. Look what it says. But Naaman was what? Angry. angry. And anger does not produce the righteous life God requires. He let his pride well up. And he said, 
Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me. Look at how offended he is. And call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure me. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, where he's from, are they not better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. I'm not going to listen to this guy that's full of nonsense, dip myself in that muddy, murky Jordan River. Forget this guy. And he was always going to let the second hazard of our hearing from God get in the way. You know what that is? Our opinions. Watch out for your opinions. Well, I just think that if God was God, he would just do this. Yeah, but somebody else thinks differently than you. So who's supposed to be God's advisor? Well, I just think if God was really God, he'd just kill the devil. You understand that if God just killed the devil, all we would know about God is that he was a murderer. Instead, he sent his son not to kill, but to die for your sins and my sins. And now we know God as a loving, generous father who loves you enough to lay down his life for you. Well, if I was God, and if God was real, he would show up in my life like this. Why don't you just say, behold, I thought. I thought that the prophet would come out. And look what he's looking for, too, by the way. He's looking for ceremony. He's looking for pomp. He's looking for all the little ritualistic things that make him feel important. I want God to relate to me on my terms. That is everybody's ideal. That's the heart of man. Here's a fact check for you. You're not God. Period. And if God doesn't do something the way you would do it, that's kind of what makes him God. <laughs> a God that always agrees with you is a God like you. And this is what Augustine said. Augustine, a fourth century church father, said, in the beginning God created us in his image and in his likeness, and ever since mankind has been repaying the favor. I think God should be like this. I think God should be like that. I th Some of you, right now, God is speaking to you right now and saying, get over your opinions of me. I am God, and if you will let your opinions die, I will bring you new life. I will resurrect you. I will heal you. But you've got to stop thinking you know better than me. And there's this great story about Job in the Old Testament who gets everything ripped away from him. Everybody's killed in his life. Everybody's dead. His children, his flocks, his herds. The only thing that the devil leaves is his wife. And then his wife comes up to him and says, curse God and die. And then you realize, oh, that's why the devil left his life, wife alive. <laughs> and he has this 40-chapter argument with God. How could he? I don't understand. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And finally, God shows up and says, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I taught how the, the, the lion how to roar? Where were you when I taught Leviathan how to crawl? Where were you when I put the stars in the, in the sky and the sun and the heavens? You weren't there. You have no idea what you're talking about. And at the end of the story, Job has to put his mouth over his hand over his mouth and say, I spoke without understanding. And the moment that he does that, God restores everything back to Job's life. Some of you will never get that restored life that you're looking for until you put your hand over your mouth and start listening to God. Amen, Behold, I thought, stop thinking so much about what you think is right and start listening to what God says. Pride says I only listen to ideas. 
that I already agree with. Pride says, I only listen to people who say what I expect them to say. How foolish. You don't know as much as you think you know. And the process of education is understanding that you don't know as much as you think you know. And you never really actually grow until you admit that you don't know what you should know. This is how we grow and this is how we heal. I want God to be like this. Well, here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says, and my ways are not your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You don't understand. It's like a child with a father. I don't explain everything to my kids. Sometimes I just say, do it. Why, Dad? Because I said so. I need to tell you that you just got to trust me here. And the Father in heaven is saying the same thing to some of you right now. Listen to me. Verse 13, going on in the story. I love this. Look at this verse. Naaman is going off in a huff. I can't believe this guy. I can't believe this guy. This stupid prophet. That stupid Jordan River. I'm not going to do that. And verse 13, but Naaman's servants went up to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more when he says to you, wash and be cleansed? I love that. Are you picking up a theme in the story, by the way? Who are the active participants in getting Naaman healed? Servants. Why do we ask you to serve? Why do we ask you to serve? Because you become an active agent through which God's healing comes to our community. It's, it's how it works. People getting saved here doesn't happen overnight. Happens because people help us in ministry with the kids, help us gathering your cars, parking your cars, help us with the cafe, help us keep this place clean, help us serve you so that when you come, you can get healed. You are the healing agents of God. So he relents in verse 14, and he went and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. Why seven times? Because that's God's number for completion. I'm going to complete this healing. Now, I think about this. you got to put yourself in the position of Naaman. Here he is with his motorcade. They pull up to the nasty, murky waters of the Jordan. He's got to get out. He's got to get down into the waters in front of all of his servants and all of his, all of his entourage, and he has to dip down in the water, and he comes up once, nothing. And he goes down twice, nothing. And he goes down three times. I should have never listened to my wife. I don't understand what I'm doing. I had down uh, four and then five, and then six, and then seven. Why? Some of you got to keep dipping. You've prayed once, nothing. Well, keep dipping. You went to church once, nothing. Keep dipping. You served once, you got a little bit offended. Keep dipping. You tried small group, you went, you didn't like the people. Keep dipping. You got to keep dipping. Just keep dipping, just keep dipping. Sorry, my mind. Squirrel. Okay, you just got to keep dipping. Because <laughs> sometimes God is in the process of doing something in you to get you to the place that when the healing comes, you'll be ready for it. You'll be ready for it and people will see it. And they'll praise your father who is in heaven. And he dipped that seventh time and he came up and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and he said, look at this, verse 15. He and all his company said, listen, I know now there's no God on all the earth but Israel. So now accept a present from what? Your servant. The guy who gets the healing turns into a servant. 
And for some of you, that's the next step for you in faith. You've already got the healing. Now we want you to serve. We want you to turn into a servant so that other people can get the healing that you've gotten. Verse 16, the prophet answered, as surely as, I Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I what? Serve. I will not accept a thing. You don't pay me for God's grace. This is not for sale. And even though Naaman urged him, he's like, no, I want to pay you. I want to pay you. I want to pay you. Nope. God's grace, friend. That's how it works. Even though Naaman urged, he refused. So number three, finally. Healing happens when I humble myself and listen to the servants God sends. Some of you are disconnected from the healing God wants to do in your life because you are expecting God to operate according to a set of rules that you have already preordained he should operate by, and he is not going to do that. But I'm going to tell you what he's going to do, what he did do. 2,000 years ago, he sent Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he sent Jesus to die for you. He let his son be tortured and murdered on a cross to tell the world that that's what he's like. He is a loving father who loves you and wants to save you and bring you home to be with him. Well, if I was God, I wouldn't have done it like that. Good news. You're not God. Good news for the rest of us. The question is, will you listen to him or will you, will you let pride call the shots in your life? You're one of two people here today. You're either in need of healing and you've been sent here and you've been surrounded by servants here to get it. Will you heal, hear it and receive it? Or secondly, you need to start being an agent of healing. Sign up to serve. Be one of the 500 and say, yes, I'm going to be part of God's healing work in my city.